you have two choices when you struggle on any kind of climbing uh, terrain. You either accept that it's challenging and try to get better at it, or you walk away. And, you know, walking away didn't seem even remotely like an option for me at the time. Um, I wanted to get better. I was excited to get better. And I think looking at it from the optimistic side of things, like I had a lot of uh, opportunity to grow in this area. Like if the next comp I'm able to get a zone, great. That's like a huge improvement because I didn't get a zone last time. If I'm able to get a top, like two World Cups from now, great. That's like, you know, huge improvement. Um, so I think just like having small checks like that um, was really beneficial for my mindset going into future comps. Hey, welcome to the Test Piece Podcast. This podcast is about all things high-level climbing. My name's Joshua Horsley. I've been climbing for 25 years, and I love staying at the cutting edge of climbing. Hi, my name is Timothy Kang. I'm a pro climber, a coach, and a route setter, and climbing is my life. We started the podcast to explore and articulate what it takes to climb at a high level, what it takes to go from good to great. Okay, let's start the podcast. Tim, my dude, we've got Jesse Gruber on the pod. Yes, Jesse, who recently won the Pan Ams and secured a spot on the U.S. Olympic team for Paris 2024. Uh, congratulations, what? Jesse. Just so, so psyched for you, man. Thanks. Still, actually, after over a month, like, doesn't feel real hearing those words. <laughs> so have you gotten the Olympics tattoo yet? Like, is that something you have to wait until you go to the Olympics? Or, like, are you just going to get full chest piece? You seem like a like a chest piece kind of guy to me. I'm not really a tattoo guy. Um, I feel like that's, like, the second question that everyone asks me these days. Really? Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see um, what, what happens. I'd be open to maybe a temporary tattoo, but... Um, I don't think I could push it past that. Well, if it's temporary, it's got to be at least on the neck or something. <laughs> uh, if you get one way more visible. Okay. <laughs> All right. For 2028 then. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I, I just always ask that because maybe it's, maybe this is a common thing, but I, I would, that's the only tattoo I would get like is the Olympic rings. But um, anyways, um, I, I get it. We'll see how you feel when, when we talk next time after you've uh, won gold at the Olympics, then maybe you'll be a little more amenable to it. Okay, Jesse, I, I'm, I'm just going to start off this podcast by apologizing. When we were last chatting, I just, I casually called you a sport climber and you instantly stopped me and you're just like, Josh, you jerk. Don't call me that. I'm not a sport <laughs> climber. I'm a climber. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting because it's so tempting to pigeonhole people by what you see in the headlines. But honestly, that's the exact opposite of what we do here. We have this long form getting a chance to go deep with, with you. So I don't know, just, just sorry, but, uh, damn, Jesse, you gotta forgive me because there's just been some big headlines highlighting your successes in sport climbing in these past few years. It really, for me, like you hit the scene when you did that amazing flash of the iconic test piece, Live in Astro in Romney, which goes at, you know, 14C, kind of a kind of big grade there. Uh, and then you just followed up with an absolute stunner of a year on the World Cup circuit in 2020, 2022. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even remember how many poems you had. I know there was a few where you were standing on the, the tippy top and claiming gold. Uh, but then just a month ago, as you mentioned, 
you freaking punched your ticket to the Olympics by winning the Pan Am. And this comp was actually a blend of lead and bouldering to mimic what we're going to see in uh, Paris in 2024. So uh, clearly I was wrong to just list you as merely one of the top sport climbers in the U.S. So uh, Jesse, uh, let's start there. Let's start at the freaking Olympics. Uh, congratulations. And just what does it mean to, to claim that spot? Like, how long has it been a dream of yours? Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, I guess, first of all, I just would like to apologize if I called you a jerk. Um, that's, you know, not not my speed, but uh, I maybe I was really, really frustrated that day. Um, yeah, I mean, the Olympics have like been a goal for, you know, since I was a kid. Uh, I would watch, you know, the Summer Olympics on the TV while I'm like doing my like ab workouts and push-ups um, and watching like Michael Phelps uh, swim uh, was just surreal for me like um and imagining like me ever having such a moment just felt like a dream from sort of that first uh moment like witnessing the games um so since then it's kind of like brewed inside me i never knew if it would be something that i would actually like push for um it always just felt like something that i uh wanted to go for but given that climbing wasn't in the olympics um and kind of like the bastardized version of the sport uh, originally coming into the Olympics. It just didn't really feel like what I wanted. Um, so yeah, to come out, uh, the format continually changing, it just feels really incredible to go from that like little kid dream to a big kid dream, I guess. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy because like I... I'm not in the Olympics, but I have a lot of the exact same feelings about the Olympics, you know, watching Michael Phelps a lot. It seemed like, you know, the guy to watch a lot in the Olympics, just having the most insane record of medals. I how do you even have over 20, you know, medals in the Olympics period? You know, how many Olympics are there? It's insane, you know, but swimming obviously is a sport where you can get multiple, you know, Olympic medals in, which is awesome. I'd be like, if climbing had all the different styles and you just got gold and, you know, free soloing, seco block, speed, bouldering, sport, like just that would be insane, you know, it would never happen. It, it almost I don't think it would it would happen for for something like climbing, which is so interesting. But to hear you also talk about the difference in, you know, the first Olympics where climbing maybe wasn't portrayed exactly how we wanted climbing to be portrayed in the Olympics and then almost getting the second ticket, which is maybe a cooler ticket is cool. And having it also tied together that it's combined and Josh totally, you know, and for anybody who didn't get that sarcasm, that was totally a joke. Jesse is one of the nicest people I've ever met, period, in climbing or not. Je Jesse, I don't think I've I've heard him call somebody a joke or, or a jerk, <laughs> but uh, that, that was mostly a joke. But uh, but Jesse, yeah, it has also been mostly portrayed as a sport climber in success, which is, you know, I guess personally, I can also take that. Uh, personally, I've also had a similar depiction of myself. And yeah, I don't like that as much either. You know, like climbing is just climbing. It's, it's how I've also always viewed it. I actually was curious on your thoughts about that. Um, just Josh's little comment, not not so much just as a as a joke, but like you know, you're and maybe you could talk about that after. But your thoughts on just being labeled as a sport climber, or you know, what's the differences? Like, what you know, why why is that not a good thing, or why is that a good thing actually? You know, I, I personally would rather be called a sport climber than a boulder, which is kind of interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the way I've always looked at it is that I, I do both. Um, I think that bouldering is like an inherent part of any sport route. And uh, I do a lot of training in both. Um, I'm very committed to both even before like this Olympic cycle. Uh, and I think that people tend to categorize people based on how they compare to other people and not what they view themselves as. So I do think that's like a little lame and 
Um, I think that it kind of makes you feel pushed into just doing what you are good at. Um, but I think that's like the beauty of climbing that we all get to push ourselves how we choose. Um, and, uh, it's not about, Oh, this person did this hardest grade. So they, therefore they're, um, more deserving to be in the sport in a certain way. Um, so to me, yeah, like I'm, I'm a climber. Uh, I like the idea that climbing, you're continually pushed into new difficulties with different disciplines, um, different ways of, uh, kind of composing yourself and, um, being able to, yeah, sort of rise to the challenge. So yeah, like I might have some more natural tendencies towards, uh, sport climbing, but I think, uh, overall, like, uh, I've been both from day one. Yeah. Uh, it, smile. Thank it, you. It, yeah, it, it was a joke. Um, you definitely did not call me a jerk, but I, I love, I love seeing you break it down there where, I, I think it's interesting how when people label you as something, how that also can become this internal monologue that uh, hurts your growth. So someone might be like, oh, like you're so good at crimps or something to someone. And then people often then maybe change their, what they get on because they think like, oh, I'm a crimper. I'm supposed to be like this. And that can be really hurt. It can really hurt your growth. Uh, so I just, I love that. I also my big pet peeve is I have a lot of friends who are boulders and they say, Oh, you know, whatever X, whether it's trad climbing or sport climbing is stupid. And my, I always just want to shake them and say, what if I told you, you could find climbing all over again. And to me, when you look at these different disciplines, they are different, but they're just the substrate is still this beautiful thing that we love to do. So more power to you. And I just, you guys, I got to pull it back to the Olympics because I freaking love the Olympics. And you talked about being a little kid, seeing the Olympics on TV. Michael Phelps, definitely a, you know, a big name for all of us as we were growing up. But the Olympics were, or climbing was not in the Olympics at that point. And so you, know, you, you said that it wasn't necessarily totally on your radar, but when did you start thinking about you know, that being a potential goal? And then maybe when you, did you ever like flip a switch and say like, oh, wait, like, I want to, I want that tattoo or, or that temporary tattoo. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I think that it always was like deep down inside, whether I flipped the switch or not. Um, when the first cycle came around and, uh, I, I definitely considered it strongly. Um, overall though, I kind of felt like in order to pursue it, I would have to like leave school. Um, which in retrospect maybe wasn't true. Um, but I just didn't feel like a speed climber at the time. Didn't feel like, you know, going all in on that, uh, discipline. Um, it didn't feel like it was right for me. Um, I think it's an awesome discipline of course, but, um, you know, just wasn't how I was sort of brought up in the sport and wasn't what I found pleasure in at the time. Um, so when it came down to, you know, continuing school, continuing competing at a high level or sort of like quitting school and going all in on, uh, that specific cycle, it just felt more appealing to not at that time. Um, but I think in the back of my head, I was always like, well, you know, that's what they're doing this year, but what are they going to do next time it happens? Um, so I think it kind of was the first time that that idea was like resurfaced as like now climbing is in the Olympics. There is a chance that it might change. What are we going to do in order to be ready for that change if it were to come one day? So interesting. I do have a question on that uh, to kind of keep pulling on that thread a little bit. Um, and this is not a gotcha question. Uh, this is 
a question that I've had myself personally, uh, where if I was training for it, or I guess when I was training for uh, more specifically competitions, when I moved to Salt Lake City, it was at the time of the Olympics kind of changing towards that newer combined format where speed wasn't included. Um, but when it was announced that bouldering and lead were still going to be a combined medal, how did you feel about that? You know, like, did that shift your training as well? Uh, because obviously having speed taken away is much more of a belief, but, uh, and this is why I'm kind of saying it's not a gotcha question because your success in competitions have been greatly higher in lead than they have been in bouldering and seeing that they have to be a combined score, I guess, like, how'd you feel about that? What'd you do exactly to, you know, well, I, I know that you train a lot of bouldering. You did really well training that, but I guess, yeah, more specifically in your internal thought process, like how that disrupt it, you know, what did you do to kind of combat that? I guess. I don't think it was like a, yeah, got, got you question by any means, but I think that like, uh, I was, um, always motivated to do bouldering competitions, uh, before like this Olympic cycle kind of started. Um, I think that I didn't understand what the level was like until I actually started and realized how far behind I was. And so maybe the kind of got you was like, I, <laughs> I like, uh, didn't realize how far off I was and didn't realize what that gap was and had always viewed myself in this way of, oh, I'm, yeah, I can do both. Mm -hmm. Like I, I had rolled up to like Legion Nationals and I had done well there at both or like I had rolled up to like local comps and, um, even in like open categories and done well. But, of course, like the World Cup stage is a completely different game. Um, and I think maybe there was a bit of optimism and maybe a bit of like, uh, hubris in there where like I didn't fully comprehend at the time what that level shift would mean. But, uh, I approached it in a way that I felt like I was confident in myself enough to continue down this road. And, uh, I guess I believed in myself in getting better from day one. Um, but little did I know how much, uh, room I'd have to, ha or need to grow. <laughs> that was not the ex answer I was expecting from you, but it's exactly the answer that I had going from youth to open, uh, when I was going from youth comps to open comps, but I actually had it in a really positive light where I was like, I was taking youth very seriously. I was, you know, really going for it all the time, really focused in each moment, you know, especially in bouldering comps where I felt like I was struggling a bit more when I got to open, I was like, wow. These guys are so serious. They try so hard. They're so strong and they solve so well and they commit every time. And I'm watching like, you know, the early times of Sean Rabbit 2 competing and like Daniel Woods is kind of legacy going on and, you know, winning every single nationals. And that's when I started doing open. So I was like, well, open, they're serious, serious about this. And so it allowed me to be serious about it and allowed me to try really, really hard. But I can see it kind of in the opposite way where when I went to my first uh, lead world cups, I had a hard time like rising to that occasion. Cause I was also kind of this optimistic mood. And I was like, dude, it's kind of hard to like really focus and try as hard as you can, especially when Magos is just next to you. And it's just absolutely shaking out and cruising. Like you know, where it doesn't look that comfortable. It's not about being comfortable, but it's about rising to that mindset and trying really, really hard, pretty much no matter what. And uh, man, that is so, that's a, such a cool answer. I, I didn't expect I, that. that was I want to hear a little bit more about what it was that you were lacking when you decided to go mm -hmm. all in on bouldering. Like, I think that it'd be easy to say like, oh, like I needed to be a little more powerful. But to, to me, that's like a little too amorphous. Like what 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 did you struggle with and you know, where did you feel, what did you end up attacking first as kind of the lowest hanging fruit to get you to that level? And sorry, my, that was yeah. my assumption that it was a mindset thing. Sorry. That was my assumption. But. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So I think that really my, 
first entrance into the bouldering scene was Merrigan in 2022. So that was like about a year and a half ago, a little bit over now. Um, and I didn't get a single zone. It was probably one of the most embarrassing competitions of uh, my entire life. But I think Holy cow. I was, of course, bummed and disappointed after that because who likes not getting a score on the on the scorecard? Um, but at the same time, it felt really motivating because I was like, holy crap, like there's so many different areas of climbing that I can now get better in. Um, and it took a while to like get there. But I also think that like you don't know what you don't know until you try. And um, I think that sort of like motto for all of climbing is really what, you know, everyone is kind of like pushing themselves around, like, you know, until you try that project, until you, um, you know, go to your first like competition, whether that be like in the beginner category or not, like you don't know exactly like the areas where you need to improve. Um, so for me, I think that there were a couple key like differences that I knew I needed to work on. Number one, which I'm still struggling with is like confidence on boulders. Um, I think on lead, like I'll, uh, you know, get to some moves, especially outside where I can try it in mul like multiple ways and still like not come off. Uh, it's kind of like testing. Um, so I'm at a rest. I'm going up a couple moves. Oh, that didn't feel right. I climb back down to the rest and then try it a different way. Um, in bouldering, that doesn't make any sense. Like your approach is um, consistently like I'm trying something as hard as I can and then I'm falling. Um, and that was just something hard to wrap my head around, like coming um, uh, maybe from more static bouldering, uh, I'll say. Um, and I think that uh, then the, it kind of comes down to like a little bit more of the movement. I was used to doing like powerful moves, but you know, the coordination, the jumps, uh, that's all really challenging and still is for me. Um, and still is an area where I feel like I have, you know, tremendous like growth opportunity for. Um, but yeah, I think that um, just getting more exposed to the style helped me like uh, practice um, on that style back in the gym. Like for instance, like even in Boston where, you know, we don't necessarily have, um, or at least at that time, like any World Cup like climbs. Um, while I like look back at the videos from both qualifiers, semifinals, and I tried to like make them. And I think that like, sure, you can do that um, by like looking at like World Cup videos, but it's a whole other thing to like feel what that, that feeling of like being shut down uh, is like and uh, being able to simulate that and practice that and be like, okay, it actually is this hard. Like uh, setting something easier for yourself in the gym that you can do is great. But I think like to get shut down on a coordination or jump move like that and then be able to um, respond to it and be able to like work it over, you know, weeks and weeks is also pretty, pretty awesome. Um, and I'm still doing that to this day, I would say. Jesse, you, you kind of, you know, you mentioned that that was, that was a, a really tough comp for you and that, you know, you didn't score and you kind of brush over and you're like, Oh, you know, actually first you didn't brush over it. Something you said that was really cool is that you don't know what you don't know. And I just love that approach of, Oh, you want to climb V12? Well, have you tried V12? Like go, go find out what it's really like. So I just love that. But what I want to get at here that kind of blows me away is that you're just like, Oh, you know, I, it was the most embarrassing comp and you're kind of saying it almost with a, with a chuckle, but you know, how, how did it feel and how, like, how are you able to then go to the next one with a better mindset? I just think that personally, and maybe not just personally, I think a lot of people would be really crushed by finding out what you don't know is like, oh man, this is hard as heck. And, uh, I I'm not quite up to the challenge yet. And shifting that into, 
And that means I'm going to go home and set simulations. Like, you know, was that a really obvious path forward uh, for you where you, you just kind of swallowed that upsetness and chugged forward? Or was there a period of doubt? Like just, I would love some insight into how you, you know, you know, look back on, I almost sound cheerful. Like, Oh, it was most embarrassing calm, but now I'm crushing. Ha ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> for reference, I don't think I'm crushing now, but I do think I've improved a lot of the folder. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that overall I've been disappointed about it and moving forward, I guess I kind of, you know, you have two choices when you struggle on any kind of climbing, uh, terrain, you either accept that it's challenging and try to get better at it or you walk away and, you know, walking away didn't seem even remotely like an option for me at the time. Um, I wanted to get better. I was excited to get better. And I think looking at it from the optimistic side of things, like I had a lot of, uh, opportunity to grow in this area. Like if the next comp I'm able to get a zone, great. That's like a huge improvement because I didn't get a zone last time. If I'm able to get a top, like two world cups from now, great. That's like, you know, huge improvement. Um, so I think just like having small checks like that, um, was really beneficial for my mindset going into future comps. And it um, promoted like that idea in my training that um, I could, yeah, keep getting better at the style. I hadn't maybe worked on it as much as I thought I was, or I wasn't working on the right uh, places for it um, or the right kind of movement. So I think uh, overall, yeah, just having that optimistic approach was really beneficial uh, coming into that next World Cup. Dude, I love I love this conversation. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna keep pushing on this conversation, and we have so many. I love that Josh just uh, took a step back and kind of asked about the perspective of that situation because he's right in that that's maybe the most significant part of this is not that you know. Well, on that note, by the way, before I lose this, uh, I want to take this moment to also assess competitions as a whole. Uh, I know that you probably have feelings on this as well, but um, what an amazing opportunity to be able to go to one of the highest level competitions in bouldering and not get a score, right? Like, I think that's a huge misconception in climbing is the, the level of difficulty in these competitions. And it's shown very well in something like that. Obviously, it's unfortunate that you might be that person to have that, but it's also really cool to watch someone like you qualify to the Olympics after you know a situation like that within like a year or two. Sorry, I just wanted to make that that point based on what you were saying because that's really cool. But back to perspective, uh, back to the optimistic perspective. You brought up dreams, you brought up intentions, and you brought up you know kind of life paths when you're young. I see that all being kind of related, even though you're you know you're a couple years older than me, and you know you're definitely like pretty solid in knowing what your life is about, uh, or, you know, you made a lot of intentional decisions in your life. And, um, that feels to me like a huge way to answer that question. I really like what you just said about being even aware that there are two choices in that moment of failure or, you know, a shortcoming where I don't think people are even realize that there are two choices to have there basically where you could keep going or you can give up. I think that's a huge significance. And and what I just heard you say is even the awareness that there are two choices there. You know, you can either, you can either keep going or you can either stop. And people just kind of, I think historically, I see them listen to whatever feels easiest or whatever feels, you know, the most natural in that moment, but it is maybe a tough decision. I do want to hear you kind of go a little bit more into that perspective of, you know, having that intention and having dreams and, and kind of focusing on that instead of focusing on, you know, maybe the easiest path forward there. Yeah. I mean, I think overall, like, I don't know if I would be able to qualify for the Olympics if I didn't have that opportunity to begin with. And it almost like set me on this path to improve at bouldering at kind of a 
really rapid rate compared to what I was doing before. Um, of course, I was improving at bouldering, I would say, like year to year. But I think that I wouldn't be where I am today without having that failure point and being able to respond to it. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful process. I think that any dream is kind of comprised of all the steps that you use to uh, build to it. Um, and I think that, you know, step one was like sort of qualifying for the team. And then step two is like throwing yourself uh, full force into this um, world and into uh, the realm of like possibility. And I think you're of course constantly questioning that, but I think with each step that you're able to hit along the way, I made the team, I went to a world cup. I maybe got my first top. Um, I think that each of those steps is like super significant. And I think that the overarching dream um, is of course super significant as well. And maybe like for a lot of people, what, what they see at the end of the day. Um, but for me, I think that each of those individual steps is also really meaningful and is kind of like what I take value from and what I have to like look forward to. Like when I like wake up, like this is what I'm training for. It's not like the Olympics, like sure it is one day, but I think that there's like these initial steps that I have um, to be like optimistic for and uh, to keep pushing for on a day-to-day basis as well. Yeah. We talked a lot about goal setting and optimism and yeah, you know, I, I remember you, I mean, just now you're talking about how you had all these almost like sub goals that you were ticking off. And I just thought it was really cool how, when you didn't have the success you were looking for on your first bouldering comp, your next goal was not, and then win the world cup. It was maybe get a zone, maybe get a top. And I just like something that I struggle with is it's sometimes easy for me to set these giant goals but then they seem so daunting that I don't really understand how to tackle them. And it's like, great, you're ambitious, but what about today? You know, like you, you can't walk into the gym and just win the Olympics today. It, it's, it's a series of today's over, over years. And you started describing that, uh, how you broke down your, your goal of flashing live and Astro. And I just thought that would be a really cool example. If you go over how you had that goal and then how you actually went about executing on it versus just having a nice goal that you write down a bunch and you know, breaking it down into that. What do you do today? What'd you wake up? How do you wake up and both have that big goal in mind and then tackle it in the right step today? Yeah. I mean, I think that both living Astro and the Olympics are really beautiful in some ways because they really boil down to one day of my life and my existence, but they're what you see my accomplishments as. Um, I think that living Astro, of course, was a dream for a really long time. Um, I had been projecting Jaws, um, two, which is like a 15 to the left of it, uh, for almost two years. And, uh, basically Jaws was here, like on the left side of the crag and then living Astro is like two lines to the right. Um, so every day that you like walk to Jaws and I spent maybe like 20 days projecting it, um, I would like look over at living Astro. Maybe someone was climbing on it. Maybe someone wasn't, but it's just a stunning line. and. Um, I thought to myself, like, I'm going to see this like Jaws thing through. And then at the end of this, maybe one day I'll feel ready to give Live and Astro like my first attempt. Um, and to me, like, I want to do everything I could to be as prepared as possible for that first attempt. Um, I thought that uh, I, the optimistic side of me felt like it was in the realm of possibility to do it on that first try. Uh, so I thought about the steps that might be needed in order to for that. Um, step one for me was trying to do as many 14s in Rumney 
uh, on my first try as possible. I did none of them. <laughs> uh, I think that Romney's a super hard crag, and uh, anyone who can flash any of the other four teams, good on you, because they're they're brutal. Um, but I also uh, exposed myself to like other rock types. Um, I uh, went to uh, Vermont, and um, there's a 14B there that I tried um, the month before uh, that I was able to sort of flash with some help as well. Uh, I practiced um, the year before uh, anywhere from like lower end 13s to higher end uh, 13s um, and lower 14s. And I think honestly, like there were a lot of like failures on that route. Like I think that there were some routes that I felt like I could flash and they didn't work out. There were other ones um, like simply redlined in um, uh, rifle that uh, ended up working out as well. Um, but yeah, a couple of months before I felt ready to give Live Astro that first attempt, um, I was kind of just building confidence in myself that this dream was attainable. Um, and uh, more than any, I don't know if it was mental or physical or a little bit of both, but I think just having that extra boost of confidence going into the climb um, was really meaningful to me. Uh, and it is funny looking back that like the uh, 114 that I've like flashed in Rumney is maybe like one of the hardest ones there, um, <laughs> at least grade wise, but <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works out sometimes. That is really cool. And it's cool to hear you talk about the significance of, well, first of all, a portrayal that climbing is usually a snapshot of, you know, someone's enormous journey. Usually, um, I, I definitely have a lot of instances and moments in, in my career that are like that. And it feels almost less, um, this, the story is for me less compelling to talk about the one moment versus the entire, you know, context of the story. Um, and there's definitely an underlying tone for all climbers there, you know, like, ah, I don't know, you know, like that, that just happened to be one thing, but there seemed to be a lot of order of operations that came before that. I, I do like how you're talking about, I'm not sure if it's physical or technical or, you know, whatever, or, or mental as to what exactly gave you that extra bit of push to flash the hardest one there, even though you didn't flash the other ones there, which is really significant. Um, we did a podcast on uh, the significance of flashing recently. And uh, I did talk about mindset uh, as one of the most important attributes of what I think, it, you know, is involved in, in something like flashing, especially something near your climbing potential. But I think you've shown one of the highest proficiencies in flashing uh, ability in climbing, uh, not just in, by the way, you flashed uh, pure imagination yesterday. I'm not sure if it's okay for me to say, but uh, you, you texted us that when we were texting you about the podcast. And that's amazing. Uh, congrats on that as well. Hold on, hold on, um, Tim, you got to give a little more context. We're just like texting like oh hey you know we still on for tomorrow like uh oh yeah how's the outline look like is there anything on like anything we should add oh um yeah i just flashed this little thing called pure imagination today like have you heard of it it's like yeah oh that other 14c um so uh jesse congrats to that uh that yeah you're in the red right yeah. now you're you're literally in the red just uh, a day off that so yeah just uh good That's job awesome. <laughs> that was awesome and we, and we can't talk about Thanks. that um but in the context of flashing, I know you as not someone who's just flashing, you know, hard 514 routes. I mean, flashing things in competition are no joke. My question here is, did you did you put a large emphasis on this aspect of your training and performance? And do you see it as just as important? Yeah. So I think that for me, uh, flashing is a super hard component of rock climbing. Um, it's the kind of thing where you're kind of towing the limit of like what you're capable of in a unique way. Um, I like that it's new movement consistently that you've never seen before. 
you're kind of like constantly not totally sure if uh, you should be like um, how, how recovered you should be on any like given rest, how much harder like the next sequences will be because you've never done it before. Um, I think that my mindset for flashing has really come down to being as okay as possible with the idea of failing, but also putting into your mindset that this is a big goal and something that um, would be meaningful for you. And I find that when I'm able to both accept failure and also put a lot of weight on what this would mean to me, I find that I tend to do my best in that performance realm. Dude, that, that is all, uh, that, that's just, I, I really, I really like that. And I think what is really interesting is we were just talking about these long-term goals and then breaking it into these steps on how to achieve them. But then to me, the, the, the next obvious question is, okay, but now today is the day, you know, you now, now you're here to do live an astro. Now you're here to be in the Olympics. And how do you deal with that pressure on that day? And, and you kind of just answered it a little bit where you had the uncertainty uh, or the, the, the possibility of failure connected with the, the, the goal in itself and the weight of that moment. But how do you actually, like, if that, I understand that that's your mindset and that you can hold those simultaneously in your head and move forward, but how do you deal with the nerves or do you have any nerves or, you know, just how do you get to that moment and then show up and perform your best in that moment? Yeah, I think that what I see as something that can really break people is if it feels like there's no option B, um, whatever the quote is, like if I um, didn't do it, what would I have done? And I guess we'll never know or whatever. Like, I like I, I think that I, I do think that um, me not flashing a certain climb or me not being in the Olympics, like life will go on, life will be okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that having so much weight on myself that um, my uh, whole climbing career is going to end because of one day of climbing just doesn't make any sense. I think, um, I think that I've felt like I've accomplished a lot and those like sub goals, you know, I did really well in like lead world cups. And then uh, sure. Like after that, like I did make the Olympics, but it's still really cool that I like did that well in those other lead world cups. I flashed all these pretty hard climbs for me and like, you know, little, little boy, Jesse, like would have been, really surprised that I would be able to get that far. Um, sure. Like he's even more surprised that I was able to flash the Astro, but um, I think that those individual steps leading up to it are also really significant in my climbing and still feel like an achievement for me. Um, maybe they're not like the newsworthy headlines of, of American rock climbing, but um, I think that's not uh, what anyone really should be solely focused on. Um, so I think that to sort of answer your question, uh, it's, it's not necessarily that like, I like, um, I'm just like, Oh, yada, yada. Like, I'm just okay with failing. And that's that, like, I feel like I really try to internalize that, um, that after this day of climbing, when I'm done and I've packed up my shoes, life will go on, whether I continue on to like that Olympic pathway, whether I continue to like another rock climb. Um, and I think that to sort of answer your question, like I've kind of had a lot of moments in my life where it has felt like okay, this comp, you know, kind of sucked. This route that I tried that I thought I might be able to flash kind of sucked. And maybe you're not going to hear about those. And, um, you know, I'd love to list them off. But um, I think that those are as significant days to me personally and as my, like, growth as a climber as any day where you're going to hear about my success too. 
Mm, dude, this is so good. Pressure. I want to know about um, rising, rising to pressure. And I guess specifically here, I do want to know about uh, some pivotal instances where maybe, maybe pressure got the best of you. Uh, I think the best instance of that was probably the Burn World Championships this year. Um, I have like always wanted to go to a world championship event. Uh, I've always considered it like the highest level for any individual um, any individual athlete to be able to perform. Um, mainly because like you know the disciplines haven't fully been split, so uh, it's the one place where you can be on kind of like a pedestal. Like everyone kind of accepts that this is one of the events that we're going to go to. We're going to compete here. Um, and if you are the best in one discipline, this is where you're going to show up. Um, whereas like some of the world cups, it kind of gets a little bit more muddy these days, um, who shows up. So, uh, to me, that felt really significant and meaningful to be able to attend that event. And I think leading up to, to that event, I put a lot of pressure, um, on myself to be able to be the best physical version of myself that I could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's rare that I sort of have like, um, you know, I finish a comp, like a competition series, like the world cups. And then I have like a bit of a break, like three to four weeks. And then I can just focus on one competition. Um, and I think that that pressure did get to me in the sense that I was focusing so much on the physical side of climbing and wanting to be show up as my best self that I kind of lost the ability to kind of believe in myself. Like I'd be showing up to sessions like super tired by the end and, um, kind of, uh, just, not wanting to leave a boulder or route until I've like accomplished it and finished it. And I think that, um, every training day became a performance performance day, uh, which led to me not being able to perform my best because no one can perform, you know, four to five days a week, um, every week, uh, nonstop. Uh, and I think that, yeah, that pressure to continually prove to myself that, um, I was in the right headspace, the right body in some way, um, to be able to, rise to the occasion uh, definitely pushed me to have not my best performance at that competition. Um, so coming into an event like Pan Am's, um, I kind of internalized what like that pressure of the competition meant. Uh, I think that I thought more about um, how I was faring mentally rather than physically, uh, not caring as much about any individual boulder or an individual route but more about how overall, like I was continually progressing, uh, in my training and, um, kind of just being more mentally like grateful for the things that I had done. Uh, and I think going into that competition, I had like way more confidence than I expected to, um, from like day one, uh, it maybe, you know, got a little rocky on like some days or like some rounds, but, uh, overall, like I was really proud of myself to go from burn where I like you know, it was like, this is it. Like, this is the culmination of all my rock climbing experiences into this yeah. one event. And I think Pan Am's, um, was a different event because, um, yeah, I just allowed myself to understand that I had failed once at this other competition and this next competition would be significant for my climbing career, but not be the end all be all. Dude, the, this, I, I use the word wisdom. I don't know. I just kind of shoved it out there while Tim was talking or something, but it really blows my mind. This, this concept of handling pressure by recognizing that it's just a single moment and, and the idea of like a plan B. And I just, I, I wanted to say it again, because I know we have a lot of younger listeners who are doing comps and 
you know, you'll be at your local regionals and you'll be 13 and you'll fail or, you know, you'll get second or whatever. And it can be devastating. And it's just, you know, I, I hope people hear what you're talking about and see that hindsight and that ability to just say, hey, today was one day, you know, and, and both use that to not be so hard on yourself and things don't go great, but also allow yourself to just enjoy the day for what it is. And so I just, I, I had to highlight that because I was one of those kids. I had an experience at nationals where I, I got second. I did really well, but it like broke my heart because I got second. And, you know, like in hindsight, it's like, what were you doing? Who cares? Like that, you know, but it really, it, it really actually hurt my climbing career trajectory because I took it so seriously. And I was like 11 years old. Yeah. I was just going to say that. I think something that I really appreciate from, or an analogy that my coach Randy uh, has given me in the past on this topic. Like, I think you can kind of think about your whole climbing career as like a body of water or like an ocean. Uh, and each day that you perform, it's like a drop in that ocean, um, a drop of water. Uh, so sure, like, uh, you know, that drop could negatively affect like the shape in some way of like that overall body. But like, we're looking at like an ocean, like you're not, you're not looking at like um, some small thing. And I think that uh, keeping that perspective of each day, not overly affecting who you are is um, really important for like longevity more so than uh, which I, I think is honestly more important than any other aspects of the sport. Um, you know, I think that if you're in the sport, you should uh, do your best to continually like work ways to love it and uh, create opportunities to continue to see value in it. Um, because I think that that will take you further as a climber than, you know, <laughs> literally like uh, finishing a day and then being like, okay, I'm done with climbing because this is too emotionally hard. Like, I think that it's okay to like step away sometimes and come back and whatever you need to, um, you know, keep that, that ocean alive. That's an awesome analogy. Yeah. Especially with how technical climbing is, you need a long time to get better. You're not at your best when you're 14. So that longevity aspect is really important for, for uh, climbing well. Uh, so I, we just got super esoteric, you know, philosophical there on, on keeping longevity and, uh, you know, recognizing that you're building an ocean. But this theme that I see that I find really interesting with you, we were talking about pressure and we're talking about flashing. So we talked about comps that you've done well at, which in some ways is flashing. Like, did you flash the finals route or how, how close did you get to flashing it? And then we talked about live in Astro, which is just incredible. Really congrats again on that. And then we just mentioned that yesterday you flashed pure imagination. Now, uh, I know you're not just a sport climber, but what I would say that's interesting is that most sport climbers talk about their best onsite. Right. Like it's typically not like their top flash. Like what, if you look at my scorecard, my eight day scorecard, all my sport climbs, I don't know. I have like one flash and well, not that many on sites, but more on sites than, than, you know, than flashes. And I was just kind of wondering what it is about, you know, flashing sport climbs that you find special versus on siting, which I would uh, say is the more typical metric by which uh, a, a sport climber would talk about their single try efforts outdoors. So if I'm being honest, it mainly comes down to the day and what's available to me. Uh, in this case, um, I ended up showing up to the crag with Megos and he had all the beta for pure imagination. And it's kind of hard to like turn that down. Um, and uh, yeah, it honestly f would feel silly in a lot of ways for me to kind of like show up 
um, with like, and it, this, this climb like, uh, is kind of prolific, uh, both to me, but also like, you know, the climbing community in general, I would say, um, it's just like one of the most classic lines that, uh, kind of exists as the epitome of like what hard endurance sport climbing looks like mm-hmm. in the country. Um, and, uh, in some ways, like I, I really feel as though an onsite really needs to be quite pure and, uh, to, to be in some ways, like I felt like I had already blown it by watching like Sasha's video, like 10 or whatever <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Um, and you know, I had walked to the crag to try like golden ticket before maybe I had like seen someone do a small move on it, uh, or something like that. Um, so I felt like it wasn't going to be as pure as I maybe wanted an onsite to be. And even something like live in Astro, like, you know, it's kind of impossible to like walk past that climb while someone's on it and not kind of like glimpse some of the moves. Um, so I felt like, well, okay, like the onsite is sort of already gone on this route. Um, but maybe I can still kind of like hold out for that flash and, uh, and, you know, just having like that perfect scenario where, um, it's kind of a perfect day for it. I have, you know, (laughs) five people literally at the base of the crag who are able to shout beta at me. Um, I, you know, have been able to watch videos beforehand or whatever. And yeah, I just felt like, uh, to me, it kind of comes down to that scenario. Um, whereas like there are other climbs, um, I guess not to like name drop here, but like, I guess like Thanatopsis was a climb that I, uh, which is like a 14 AB, um, uh, at the mother load. Um, I remember hearing that like Sean McCall had like onsighted that, uh, when I was like a kid and I was, you know, had always like walked past that one and been like, okay, like one day I don't want to like see anyone on that. I don't want to like watch any videos. Yeah. Um, I want to like give it a proper attempt. Um, and like earlier in the trip, like that did go, um, I guess for me, which was like pretty sick. Uh, so I think that it's like kind of like this balance. Um, and I'm not, not trying to like, yeah, like, like, Oh, that's awesome. Woohoo. But like, yeah, by the way, I had another. Yeah. 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 Name drop really, (laughs) really quick in there. Um, That's so awesome. I, I just think that the point I'm kind of trying to make is that I think it's about, um, kind of the opportunity that you're given on a day and, I think that's kind of the decision that I, uh, it kind of boils down to between an onsite and a flash and both are very meaningful to me. Um, but I think first try climbing is first try climbing and it's pretty sick either way you go about it. Oh, dude, there's a couple of things that you said that were really cool. The first one being that, uh, it's kind of sometimes important just to rise to that occasion. We've talked about this in so many different contexts and the simple context that we kind of bring this up in is the question that a lot of people have this question like, okay, well, do I follow my training plan or, you know, all my site friends are there that day. Like, do I, should I do that? And it's like, of course you should do that. Like you have to understand the, the rare attributes of climbing with your friends that day and having a site session. And maybe there's new climbs or whatever. Like there's so many obvious attributes as to why that might be a better session for you than following your training plan. Of course, you're then you're missing out on consistency and you're missing out on, you know, understanding the impact of your volume and intensity for your week and stuff. But that stuff is easy to get. You know, it's, it's not so easy to get that psyched inspired session. And especially you're right when there's a bunch of people who know the beta on pure and you, you know, you're capable of flashing pure, which is a huge one. You got to take that. You got to kind of rise to that occasion, of course. So uh, on that note, I was just texting with Ethan Salvo uh, this morning and I, I'm, I, I name dropped you, Jesse, in your accomplishment on pure imagination. I was like, oh, dude, like, I don't know. He keeps flashing these things. And then Ethan was like, Dude, Dreamcatcher next. He's he's like, we can spray you down. It's Ooh. like the perfect because it's the perfect flash awesome. boulder, right? Like everyone's there. Wow. I don't know. Uh, just 
just putting it out there as a, uh, you know, possibility, uh, just, you know, see Josh said flash boulder. I'm like, Oh, also, <laughs> also, by the way, I just realized that I referred to you doing finals routes as flashes, but they're on site. So just, yeah, just wanted to correct myself there. I was just, it's been a while since I've been yeah. in, in a finals route. I apologize. <laughs> uh, as we transition from this super mental aspect around handling pressure, I, uh, you know, when I sent out my request for the the previous guests who to see if they have any questions, uh, a few people mentioned just your incredible stamina. Ethan Pringle was like, "Find out how he gets his incredible stamina, and uh, then and then tell us all." But I want to link this into this idea of showing up on a specific day. There is this mental component of handling pressure, but there's also a physical component, and you know, we can look at the Olympics that are coming up and they're, I don't know, six months, eight months away. And sh knowing how to show up on that day in peak physical performance as, as well as mental uh, is a whole beast unto itself. I was just kind of wanting to dive in a little bit into your training and, and how you think about peaking or tapering or just all those things around making sure that game day is your best day physically. Yeah, so I think that this is something that is relatively new to climbing, like how to how to peak your performance, um, because I think it's been studied a decent amount, like in other sports, but maybe hasn't been uh, applied as much to climbing. Uh, and I guess my um, like yes, I think that like tapering before competitions is really important. I think there are a lot of things you can do both like on the mental side, but also physical side to prepare yourself to peak on a certain day. Um, but I think that for me, it's always felt a little dangerous to, uh, fall into that realm of believing that you're peaking because I think that there's nothing about a single day that ever means that you're going to peak in a certain part of climbing. And what I sort of mean by that is just like when I step out to like a semifinals route or like a finals route in a competition, um, I think that, you know, you're constantly kind of being like punched by the route and, some way or another, like there are things that you don't expect. And I think that having uh, this overconfidence that I feel like I might have in the idea that like I'm in peak performance might make it so that it's harder to like respond uh, to something out of the blue or a challenge that I might have mid route. Um, I hope that sort of makes sense. But I think what I'm kind of getting at is that overall I look to peak performance as uh, not the objective, but something that I aim to sort of like be in uh, every day, I think, or every day that I like kind of like want to perform at my best. Um, because I think that you just don't know what to expect while you're climbing and, uh, and it's going to feel hard and it's going to feel challenging. And I think that the number one thing that you can do is just always be ready to fight while you're on the wall, as opposed to, uh, peaking just the idea to me always has felt like, okay, I'm more prepared um, and I'm going to be able to respond better. But if you don't like fundamentally have that idea in your head that when you're on the wall and it's getting hard, you're able to respond day in and day out. I think that there's no point in fo overly focusing on a peak. Um, that said, like I, I have been tapering more for world cups. Um, so kind of doing uh you know, a little bit more resting, not double sessions, um, maybe having more uh, just like 
performance execution days uh, a couple days before limiting volume uh, more. Uh, and then also like, I think on the confidence side leading up to it, similar to like live in Astro, but on a smaller scale, like uh, every week or so, like there are things that maybe I'll write down or think about that I accomplished in that week that maybe were challenging for me in the week before. Um, so maybe it's a bolder move that I kind of like uh, feel more confident on. Maybe it's a route that felt, you know, really hard the first time I got in it. And now I got, uh, you know, to the head wall. Um, so just things that I'm like, sort of like more proud of. And I think coming into a com- competition with a little bit more of that confidence is important for like my peak performance. Wait, so do you keep a journal? Like you, you, you said that you are keeping track of some of the, the wins that you have along the way. Is, do you keep some kind of journal? I do have a journal. Um, I don't write, write this down like every time. Usually it's more, uh, on route to a specific competition. I'll keep track of like things that I'm proud of in the last few months or the last few weeks. Um, I think that it's just nice to appreciate yourself. One thing I just want to highlight that you said that I want to make sure I understand is it sounds like you can't count on quote unquote physically peaking always. Like you, you may be able to taper and kind of have uh, the idea that, well, I'm well, I'm well rested at least I I didn't overdo it, uh, but it's hard to know how to just show up on that specific day. So it's more just this general thing. But then you said something that was really interesting where it's always going to be hard and you're always going to have to fight. And I found it interesting because there's almost a a mental component there of it's not about peaking. It's you can't even peak that, that mental attitude. That's like a, a consistent thing that you have underlying all, uh, all tries is doing your best. And and I think that's kind of cool because you can see how maybe you are really strong that day, but then maybe a move just is outside your wheelhouse. And if you're like, oh, but I'm supposed to be just cruising, everything's supposed to feel easy, then that can really blow up your your confidence for that moment. And I just love that that no matter how strong you are, no matter how well rested you are, undergirding all of that is the willingness to put it all out there. And uh, that sounds like something you can practice all the time not something that you have to you know, wait for. Yeah, that that's actually more of what I heard is that the if you believe in your peak too much, that can get in the way. Not so much that you should rely on your peak so that you show up physically. Like, of course, you should do that. You know, we I like that you're making a point that it's relatively new in climbing. We are learning how to do that first. But you do your best to understand your body and experiment over time and you just peak. But what you should be focusing on day in and day out is how do you get the best that you can give that day? And that's that kind of mental side. That is really interesting. And that question did sprout from Josh talking about your stamina, which is a question that I did have as well. I've made this um, point countless times to other climbers, kids that I coach, you know, people that I coach just in conversation. Yeah, Jesse Gruber has by far the best stamina. It's a very interesting word. It's not necessarily just, um, I wouldn't even call it endurance. It's not the same thing. It's it's more of a, a mental thing that I'm looking at. When I'm watching you climb in specific moments, in specific competitions, I'm watching a willingness to choose the right decision through hardship over and over and over and over again. That's kind of what I see as that stamina. And um, I guess I did have a question, which maybe seems obvious to you, but is that more physical or is that more mental? I want to go back one more time to the peak performance and then I will answer your question, Tim. Um, And I think that uh, the best example that I can give for what I'm trying to sort of describe with peak performance is an outdoor trip because I think there's uh, no better kind of place for, uh, for, for describing it than there. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the time when you're on an outdoor trip, it's going to rain, 
there's going to be high humidity some days there might be it might be too cold it might be too hot whatever um you can't control the conditions but like if you're trying to control like when you're peaking but the weather is different than when you're supposed to be peaking it gets like awfully confusing because uh your peak is actually like not when you're physically the best but when the weather might be the best um and i think that that's a kind of like uh, uh drives a point home in that um you can do everything you can on the physical side but uh there's so much in climbing that you can't control and uh ignoring that um kind of defeats the purpose of any peak that you might have um then to answer your yeah the stamina question uh i think that this is something that i've just had fun with climbing for uh it's not necessarily um I mean, fun is relative because I think that, uh, for me, when I sort of like describe my training regimen to other people, it's like, whoa, that's like insane. Like that's like way more than I even thought like someone should do or is like healthy to do or something like that. Um, people don't say that all the time to me, but, uh, you know, on occasion, like I'll, I'll get that. And I think that for me, like it's like been a build up, like a steady build up, uh, over, over many years. Um, like it's like if someone had never run a hundred miles, but we know mm. it's like possible for the human body to like go that distance. Um, like it sounds insane if you've never run a mile, but like it's kind of the same progression where you would start by running like a mile. Then, you know, maybe I run five the next time. That's not how running works, but <laughs> you kind of get the point where it's like <laughs> yeah. you, you build up over time and Real eventually foundations. like maybe one day, yeah, you're going to a hundred miles. So I think that I kind of approach um, mainly power endurance in the same way, which is mainly what I, I focus on in my training. Um, and I think that it is, of course, like a physical, uh, a physical stamina that I'm reaching for. But I think the added component and bonus of that is that when you're continually like, um, getting physically like powered down, uh, in your training, you have the opportunity to continually try to respond to that, uh, power down. Um, and I think that that's really where I feel like, uh, my training has excelled in that, um, you know, when I'm starting to get powered down on a route, like I've built up kind of like this reaction to that, uh, over mm -hmm. time by struggling continually in training. Um, so I think that, yeah, it is <laughs> like, like most things it's both, but, uh, I think that I wouldn't be able to train the mental side without being able to push myself on the physical side. What a good answer. I, I just want to echo. I just want to echo what you just said. It's, it's a choice. It's a reaction that you're making. It's that continuous over, over the course of a session. It's not, yeah, I love, I love how you're talking about the physical and the mental side, but the mental side, there is that kind of reaction. Every time you're powered down, you have a reaction. Yeah. Well, cause I, I loved what you said, Tim, about that willingness to choose the hard yeah. thing, the right thing, even when it's hard. And that's what I like about sport climbing. Uh, well, I mean, this happens in bouldering too, but it happens to me more mm -hmm. in sport climbing where I know what I should do but I don't want to, I just want to jump to the hold and hope that it it's a good hold. I just want that to be the jug instead of using the intermediate, really setting my feet right and really choosing the right option, even when you're tired. And that's interesting that you talked about how it's this blend of being exposed to that situation can, you know, over and over and over again and building up that consistent reaction to make the right choice. So I love that. I still, I, I got to ask, I, cause I had this written down cause I just, I'm just curious what kind of volume do you do, Jesse? Like what does a week look like? And I can't believe some people said that doesn't look healthy or that's, that's hilarious. Those are just, don't listen to them. Oh, I but, can. Uh, I can yeah. Can you that. give us some, 
well, I just want to hear, I just give me some, give us some, uh, some numbers or some, some way for us to relate to what uh, the actual volume does look like that you're doing on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of want to jump back again, sorry, Please. Uh, to be all over the place, but I think that, um, I also would sort of challenge the idea that there is like a right answer in sport climbing because even like in pure yesterday, like, uh, Alex was like yelling beta for like the red point crux and I was mm. trying to do his beta as best I could, but it didn't feel like quite right with like the foot that he uh, suggested. Um, he also said like not to use like an intermediate as well. Um, and, uh, I think that it's like being able to respond to what like you think is right. So maybe it's like not really challenging that idea too much. Um, but also being able to like, uh, change the switch and know that like if option A doesn't work, option B might work and they all probably will work. Uh, it's just about picking one and committing to it fully. Before awesome. you answer good the next question too, that that's such such a good point. We've made this in other podcasts as well, where upvoting and fixing your systems for how you ask questions and how you answer them is maybe the most important thing in climbing because it becomes obvious when you get to a situation where you're like, oh, I want to do that. You know, it's like, oh, I should do that. It's like, well, what's what is what is even in your ward bank of like what you should do? And maybe the ward bank is like where we fix first. And I love, I just love hearing you say that. That it's, well, it's such an important point there. And I just want to, I just want to clarify what I said, uh, cause I, I totally agree with what you're saying there, Jesse. And the reason why I want to clarify is not to like pat myself on the back. What I mean by doing the right choice isn't necessarily like this is the, the perfect beta. And I know this is exactly how to do it. My point is, is that sometimes when you get tired, it's almost like you're looking for ways to give up in a not direct give up way mm -hmm. where it looks like you just jumped off, but really, you know, deep down inside that you need to keep your foot on for this move, but you're just going to go for it and you're going to kind of half-ass it. What I mean is that sometimes we get really pumped and tired. I mean, maybe you don't, Jesse, because you're just a machine, but I get pumped and tired and there's just this voice inside my head that's like, dude, you're so tired. You tried so hard. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to do this move. Just kind of like go for it, but like you did enough. And rather than when I hear that voice by no, like, no, you really need to sink into this drop me. Like you really need to commit. You can't just half-ass this. And I feel like sometimes you see people fall, but they're actually kind of really deeply internally giving up. And so that's kind of where I'm uh, going into that. That's the nuance I wanted to, to bring there. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think that's a good cleanup. And I like that Jesse also, when you were kind of commenting like, oh, maybe not for Jesse. It's like, no, actually I, I like what Jesse's kind of alluding to there where Jesse does get pumped. Jesse does get tired. He's just constantly believing. He's constantly making choices that he thinks is right and has a good framework underneath that to be able to make the right choices that actually probably get him up the next movement. And that's kind of what I was leading to with the conversation with the question itself, which is stamina. Stamina is a more uh, it's a mental thing as well. as it's, a, it's not just a physical endurance. It's a mental stamina where you're willing to make that that uncomfortable and difficult choice over and over again. And when I uh, so I coached a stone summit camp. Um, I coached a stone summit, uh, like a summer training camp where there's, there's like 90 kids and there's a bunch of, you know, strong kids there. And I did a little like situation clinic with a bunch of the older kids, the older boys, and we were going into belief and, uh, I could not bring you up enough in the terms of context that I'm thinking about, which is like, it's a choice. 
it's a choice, man. Like it's going to suck. You're going to feel like you're going to come off the wall. You're not going to look perfect. And climbing it ingrains into us over and over again. This is for everybody. You know, climbing ingrains into us over and over again. Got to find the easiest way up the wall. You got to find the smoothest way up the wall. You got to find the path of least resistance. But then you also have to embrace an attitude of that might not feel very good. It might not look that pretty, but you have to make that choice. And uh, okay, Josh asked a question about the ridiculous volume that ha- that you have. So yes, on that on that note, I would love to hear about uh, the the biggest the biggest volume cycles you've had, what are the most ridiculous training sessions that you've had or, you know, weeks? Yeah. And Tim, to your point, I think it's really uh, important to, you know, sort of emphasize that this is not something that like I started out doing. It's like things that like uh, over time, like I've sort of um, developed as like a reaction. And I think if I did it, you know, 365 days a year or even like consistently for more than like a month or so, like I think that, um, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right for me. So, uh, uh, I think that, um, I've learned also like, as I've gotten older that like maybe some of this, like some of the volume that I've done in the past isn't always as necessary. Maybe it's more important to mm-hmm. focus more on the performance side, but I think overall, like, I think as a general training protocol, like I'll start with more volume and then lead towards uh, a little bit more, um, specific performance. Um, in general, like, I think that my, uh, my ideal like week is kind of like two on one off. Um, like the first day I'll, uh, aim to do, uh, two sessions and the second day I'll aim to do one slightly longer session maybe. Um, so the first day will be, yeah. Um, I think, I think this is kind of like an ideal world and it kind of never actually happens this way Mm -hmm. would be like, kind of like a two and a half, three hour session in the morning and like a two and a half to three hour session in the evening, which isn't crazy. I think maybe, um, and I think that like, uh, the next day, maybe I would do three to four hours and then take, take sort of a rest. Um, uh, so maybe I can just walk through, uh, kind Give of us an like example. A, yeah. Of like a day standard yeah. day in some way. Yeah. 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 So two like, days. uh, a standard, a two, yeah, the two days for sure. So, um, the two days, uh, wake up, try to do like a yoga session, um, do a little bit of like warm up fingerboard, warm up in general, uh, then I'll move to, uh, this is kind of like what I'm thinking of, like leading up to Panams cause it's kind of like the last, uh, sort of training performance cycle that I had. Uh, so maybe like two weeks before Panams before, like I started like tapering or anything like that. Um, then, um, I, uh, yeah, go to the gym. Um, I do some performance bouldering. Uh, so working on projects for an hour, maybe hour and a half. Uh, then I'll move to, maybe like up down ups on like limit projects. Like how hard, how hard are you actually pulling on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it kind of ranges. Like I would say it might be, maybe I would do like a round in the morning. So, uh, you know, there are new boulders up at, uh, momentum and, uh, I'm going to go, uh, try to do like a round and see how they go. Uh, so I would do like five minutes on five minutes off on, on them. Um, they're all usually, I probably haven't sent any of them by the end of the time, uh, cause that gym can be salvaged sometimes. Um, and then, uh, I'll maybe spend like 30 minutes or so, like working those problems. Um, any individual moves that I felt like were really challenging for me, I wanted to get better at. Um, and then I'll move into, uh, kind of like doing like, uh, up, down, up. So I really like doing that exercise on boulders specifically. Um, nice. I think that it's great for like power endurance. And I also think it, provides an opportunity to basically like have an unlimited number of like on-site routes that you have at your disposal. 
What um, are they exactly? Can you, can you, you know, explain? Can, I don't know if I know what up, down, yeah, up is for sure. exactly. So, so typically when I do this exercise, I would do like uh, up a hard route, down easier route, up another route. Um, and I'm saying route, but they're boulders. <laughs> uh, and um, maybe I would do three to five, two times each. Um, and uh, Okay, then, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Yeah. Can you also yeah. give, us, give us a typical grade for the up, the down, and the up? Gonna, this is going to blow people's mind. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're really hyping this up. I feel like it probably isn't that crazy. But I, I'm maybe maybe do like a 10 or 11 up, like a 6 or 7 down, or 5 to 7 down, I'll say, and then like uh, an 8 to 10 up again, depending on like the terrain. Um, and you usually like, say. I think right? like steeper stuff. No, 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 no. I, sorry, oh, really? I, should, I should preface that as well. I usually like to, whenever I'm doing endurance, I usually like to, create things that I'm not sending um, gotcha. that I'm like sort of uh, yeah. Like maybe I'm uh, falling off of, or um, maybe I'll send, send like the second time, but then I'm going to like move on to something that is harder um, or maybe I'll like tweak it so that it's like a harder down climb or a harder up climb or uh, the second up climb. Um, so that's kind of like generally how, how that'll go for me. Um, so if I am doing two sessions, like I'll probably only do three of those, like two times at each, each, um, uh, ish I would say um and then uh and then so that's kind of like end of first session and you know lunch break chill do some work something like that um then uh yeah after that session I'll come back to the gym and um it'll be more of like uh power endurance focused so maybe I'll like warm up on some like uh easier like comp moves um but then kind of like quickly transition to uh I guess the options would be returning to some of those up, down, up climbs, um, trying to repeat, uh, all of them, maybe each two times each. Um, I'll maybe do, um, like triples on lead if I had a partner and was interested in doing that. Um, if there are like routes that felt significant for me, um, or, uh, my like standard, uh, workout revolves around like circuits usually. Um, so I'll usually have uh, a circuit or two that I kind of like alternate between, and I usually haven't sent like either of them and I try to make it so that uh, I don't send them for about like three weeks or so. Um, I'm not trying to so project create circuits. them. So, yeah. They're project circuits. Yeah. Um, and I'll just be, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of running laps on them like back and forth. Um, I think that maybe if I like rested and was super recovered, maybe I'd be able to have a better shot at them. Um, mm. But typically like I come to them when I'm already like a little bit tired um, and they're yeah, usually pretty hard and, uh, pretty challenging for me. Um, what, and I'm, what do you, yeah, no, like not really sending them Two two questions. What, what do you mean by triples on, on, on ropes? I think I can guess. And then, and then just to, to link into this is it seems like you are failing during training quite a bit, even when it's endurance. I find that interesting that you're talking about things that are hard and that you don't always send. And just, uh, I, I guess I, I didn't see that coming when we're talking about volume and endurance that you're still really pushing. Like there's, that's a big performance aspect. So yeah. What are triples? And then how often are you falling? You know, is falling part of your, not, not part of your training, but sounds like it happens even when you're training endurance. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll maybe focus away from ropes a little bit because I actually, uh, honestly, like I don't rope climb like that much. Like now that the TC wall is up, I'll like do that a little bit more. Um, but I would say like circuits and kind of sticking to boulders is probably more of my bread and butter of like, uh, sport climbing training. Um, but yeah, it is, 
this is kind of like an idea that I guess comes from uh, like human performance research, but like uh, the idea of like what an ideal like failure point is for a rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. uh, so someone who's like going through a rehabilitation cycle. Um, so basically like how frequently do you want them to be failing at activities that they're trying? Um, and I think that I've thought a lot about that for like athletes as well. Um, because ideally like, yes, you're not failing a hundred percent of the time. Um, cause that would be insane. And like, everyone would be sad all the time. Um, but I think also <laughs> like having kind of like a threshold for failure point is, um, also something that I think is valuable as an athlete and something else that you like sort of like build up mentally over time. And I'm not saying that like I'm capable of, um, being at a high failure point, like all the time, like I was saying, like leading up to burn, I think that, uh, I kind of like surpassed my capability for that. Um, but I do think that, um, being able to like toe the line between being confident in yourself just because you are who you are and confident in yourself because of what you're putting down in the gym are, uh, sometimes, um, uh, you know, a dotted line. And I think that, uh, I think that I want to continually like remain confident in myself because of all the things that I've done before and not, um, yeah, not, not all the, uh, not continuously sending new things in the gym. Um, cause that's not what I'm uh, specifically into climbing for. But I do think it's rewarding to go through the process of, as you said, Tim, like a project circuit where uh, it is challenging for you in the beginning and then um, kind of like just hammering it down until it feels more and more possible over time. Wow. I feel personally that bouldering rounds are some of the most psychologically taxing things I can do in climbing. You know, it's so much of everything mixed in trying to be perfect, but also fight and also be creative. It can be really taxing. And it, to me, it's surprising that you start your days with that, but it's also makes sense for good training. Um, and I guess I do want to hear that second day. And yeah, do you, do the, when do you balance then, uh, having success in your climbing and when, when then do you balance, you know, feeling that like wave and just maybe focusing on that, you know, the perfection aspect of climbing rather than just the survival fighting aspect of climbing? I think that first of all, like, I think I, don't always do like the bouldering round in the beginning and what my bouldering round uh, looks like is probably different from your standard, like, uh, you know, world cup qualifier or similar, uh, mainly because the uh, routes or boulder problems that I have access to are uh, not maybe at the same level. Um, I also tend to uh, that that's just an example, but I'm not going to do like two on one off. And then, uh, you know, after two days and do like another bouldering round, maybe I'll like revisit, the climbs that I've like seen before. Um, and, uh, I think that, uh, as far as like how I balance, like the success rate that I'm having, I think it really depends on like where I'm at in the season. Um, and also just like, I have gotten better over time at listening to myself when I'm sort of struggling. And I think that burn as well as like the end of last season, which I was starting to feel like a little bit more burned out from just like competing, continually competing and being in that performance mindset, I feel like I'm getting better at kind of catching myself when I'm starting to go over that edge of just continually failing and just being frustrated. Um, because I think that's not when I do my best climbing. And, um, also it's not when I'm the happiest either. So I think that having those two things in balance is, is super important to me. Um, I do think that, uh, I, I push it more, when I know that I have an event coming up like a month later and then I'm kind of like tapering off where like that, that's kind of like why I like project circuits because it's like a gratification, hopefully over the course of three weeks. And I think that um, when we're talking about success or failing, 
you know, going back to like that top conversation to me, like sending a circuit is like, of course ideal, but I also think like getting a new high point is also a big success. Um, if I'm outdoors, like obviously sends me in like a little bit more and, uh, but, but I think like the, like getting a high point surpassing where you were before is still really meaningful to me. And I, I, I see that as success. So I think maybe it kind of comes back to like what you think of the definition of success. And, um, I think that I'm, I've really been working on relearning what success means in my training. Um, so maybe I didn't do a boulder problem this, this time around either, um, but what did you like learn on it? How much closer did you mm. feel or get, or was there something different that you did uh, in order to approach X, Y, or Z? Um, so yeah, I think that uh, it's all things that I'm still playing with, but and have been playing with for you know over ten or fifteen years. But it's important to me to uh, you know take a step back a lot, reassess where I'm at with that failure point, and uh, make sure that I'm getting the small wins in when I can. I love, I love these small wins and these breaking up yeah. the goals and, and really falling in, in love with the process and, and enjoying the day for, for what it brings. I, I, yeah, it, it's, it's funny how the way to have these big giant wins is almost letting them go and just enjoying the wins you get mm. along the way. And then what we see in those headlines, you, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes the things I've done that are quote unquote, the, the most impressive in, in my climbing, you know, career, if you want to call it that happen just, I don't want to say randomly, but it's, it's just about showing up, doing your best each day. And then one day, you know, maybe, maybe you did peak and maybe the weather was good at that time. And, uh, I, I just like that, that rather than focusing on that, the way to have that longevity is to day by day, you know, uh, move by move and breaking it down like that. So, Thanks for that. That is a lot of volume. And the, the last question I have on that volume is, do you do any off the wall training? You, you, you said two days on one day off. Uh, you did mention yoga, but is there any other off the wall training that you do that you think is significant? Yeah, this is something that I'm still kind of playing with. Uh, in the winter of the past two seasons, I've been doing more weightlifting uh, and exploring like that realm, which is kind of fun because it's something that I'm honestly pretty bad at. And uh, I'm, a complete novice in. Uh, but I do think that, uh, there are benefits to it as far as like, just like having to try really hard, um, just like immediately. Uh, I'm not sure if it's always, uh, been as physically beneficial to my climbing, um, as I might've expected, uh, mainly because it makes me pretty tired, I would say for, uh, a month or so afterwards. Um, I have started a pretty, uh, thorough like stretching routine, um, which I try to do like every day. Uh, and apart from that, I would say I've picked up more like mindfulness apps, which I think is like off the wall training in a different way. Um, just trying to do like a little bit of meditation, um, in addition to like the yoga, uh, kind of every day or every other day or, uh, or so. All right. That's, that's, uh, good to hear that you're not just slamming weights around five days a week. Also, I, I don't blame you for trying to find that, that off the wall balance. It can be, it, it's funny because, you know, you hear like, Oh, I, I need to deadlift or something <laughs> or squat, I'll squat. I'll just come back for the next four days. Be like, wow, I can't even walk up the stairs now. Like, is this, is this good? Uh, but also cool to hear that you're, that you lumped in, off the wall training with being some uh, of that mental 
mindfulness apps. And we, we don't need to to dive too deep into that because I think we've done a lot of the, the mental side already. But it's just interesting to hear you link that with your performance. And it's just something to to think about where, yeah, the, 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 there's something interesting there. But uh, okay, this is not total training, but it, it is me just kind of wanting to scratch this itch of getting to talk to someone that's had incredible success on on sport routes. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm such a jerk. I'm just asking about sport routes. But th- I have this question that y- you brought up when you're flashing and you don't know how to how long to rest on a rest. But I have this issue with just knowing how long to rest on a rest always, whether I'm on-siding, flashing, or projecting. And I was just wondering if you have any tips or tricks on how to know how long to rest during a route, you know, whether it's on a jug rest, whether it's, you know, like no hands, whether it's like just a quick shake, like just how do you think about resting? Because the more I sport climb, the more I recognize that endurance wasn't always the right word for what you do. I mean, there are little power endurance boulders, but resting and how long to rest and how to recover at rest is a big part of, of what sending hard is there. And I was just wanted to dive into the idea of, yeah, resting. How, how do you do it on route? So I think that resting for me has two different components. Uh, component number one is, of course, what we sort of like all uh, generally feel, which is like uh, trying to recover uh, the sense of or, or lack thereof uh, pump like in the forearm. Um, but then I think that the most important thing for me, like while I'm resting that I'm constantly thinking about is kind of like slowing my heart rate down and breathing and uh, making sure that uh, I'm kind of like under control in some way, because I think that the more moves that you do that are challenging, kind of the more into like the state of like red line that you get and the closer that you get to failure. Um, so I think it's resting to me is all about pulling back as far as you can from that point of failure and uh, trying to, uh, yeah, have all those systems ready to go again. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, like a NASCAR driver <laughs> coming into the, uh, side rail to be like refilled with fuel and whatnot. Um, so I think that what I'm mainly focusing on is lowering that heart rate. Uh, I tend to try to do fairly deep breaths um, once I'm getting ready to go again. Uh, but I usually tend to think that, especially when I'm outside, because this wouldn't really work for comps, um, I try to rest for about a minute longer um, on decent rest uh, than I think I need. Um, if I'm in a comp, uh, maybe I do an extra shake on each hand uh, than I think I need. Um, but I think always doing like a little bit more uh, than what I sense like my body requires at the time is uh, important, I think, for my resting. Uh, but it really is kind of like internalizing and focusing on uh, how slow is like my heart rate and how relaxed do I feel. Oh, that's cool. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting how you, uh, you answer that because I think um, a lot of people would talk about resting is like, I don't want to stay on this hole too long because I'll get more pumped in the forearms if I stay on this rest. But, you know, that's because we focus on maybe that part of resting too much. Maybe I think a lot of us focus on getting that physical feeling back as like what resting is significant for. But here you talk about the, the significance of resting is more for the the internal and being in a calamity state, even hearing you know you talk about mindfulness off the wall, it definitely makes sense that you value that. Well, uh, 
Jesse, I, I did love what you're saying about just getting yourself back under control. And I think that's where that breathing thing is really important. I, I want to keep on ticking off questions. I always wanted to ask someone like you, and, and this is probably more outdoor oriented, but when you're projecting something, what do you do if you reach this high point and you're just stuck at like you're, you're, and, and let's not say it's, it's a crux move that you've never done. Let's say it, you're pumping off. You know, you're, you're at like the last boulder problem and you keep coming off at the same spot. Like how do you tackle that when you have a project where you just have this high point that you can't get past? Yeah. So I think that step one is sort of like identifying like why you're coming off. Um, I think re-examining moves, even if they feel easy in uh, isolation is always something that I think to me separates like the best outdoor climbers from the great outdoor climbers in some way uh, that even on like easier climbs, like, you know, there are five different ways of doing a move, but what's like the most efficient way. Um, and I think that even if it's like a project and you've been trying it for a while, there still might be a lot that you have to learn on it, even if it feels like you're dialed in as much as you can be. Um, so I think rerunning sequences is always helpful. Trying different methods um, is beneficial no matter how long you've like been trying a project for. Um, that said, um, if like you're kind of like coming off because of uh because the move, not because the move is too hard, but because maybe you're pumping off or um, maybe powering down, uh, which I guess are two different options. Um, the pump side, uh, I would say that for me, um, finding like micro rests, maybe milking other rests below that is definitely important. Um, finding opportunities to just like breathe and like lower your heart rate, even if you're in between moves uh, is important. Um, and I think playing with that throughout the route kind of tends to benefit me in that last move. Like, I think that a lot of the time it's like, oh, I'm just like falling because, uh, you know, this, this move is like a little bit, uh, challenging for me, but like really every time you fall on like sport route, it's like the culmination of all the moves that came before then. Um, so trying to be as optimized and efficient as possible on all of those other moves is really important. Um, but if you really do feel like you're like really locked in and like you have everything on dial, then I would say like, um, starting to just like link more moves. So, uh, if you're able to link from draw seven to draw eight, but, uh, not from draw six to draw eight, then start at six, draw six and a half and see if you can go to eight, um, and try to do as many of those links as possible, um, while maintaining, uh, the idea that maybe some things could be changed uh, both in like quick shakes and rests and um, always being willing to like play uh, with that idea. Uh, good stuff, man. Okay. Well, Jesse, I got another question. I, uh, in that same vein, maybe you're not pumping off. Maybe you're just getting stuck on a crux move, you know, where you're just can't, can't do the move. Uh, you know, I, how do you, how do you start breaking apart a crux that is stopper for you? I think that overall it kind of comes down to, yeah, once again, like identifying what the challenge is on the crux. Um, is it truly like a physical thing? Is it that you're doing the crux wrong? Uh, is it that uh, mentally like you're really high above your bolt and it's like a little bit scary to kind of commit to the move? All things that like I've experienced and, you know, have watched others kind of go through. Uh, and I think that kind of the remedy, of course, is like different depending on which like ballpark you fall under. Um, I think that I would, uh, tend to approach cruxes, uh, 
in a way that I'm trying them in a lot of different ways. Um, so just like in a comp, like you have like option A, option B, option C. Um, I've typically like for a route that is above my pay grade or something that I'm trying to achieve uh, over time. Um, I've, uh, you know, tried all of those different options. I've tried like the seven different feet that are possible for me. Um, I've, uh, you know, put my hands in opposite locations. And I think that uh, in the end, like even if you, come back to the original beta that you have, you like learn something a little bit more about the holds. You learned uh, what position you need to be in in order to like hold uh, the next body position. And I think that uh, you can't necessarily think of it as like, Oh, well I just like wasted all this time because I tried these like seven different options. Um, it's like all like learning and uh, you know, typically with climbing, the more you learn, the better you do. Jesse, I don't even know what you mean above your pay grade. I, I, that just doesn't even make sense to me when you're talking. But I guess actually it makes me think of this question that uh, Ethan Pringle uh, sent out. Uh, he said, dude, when are you going back and getting on bibliography again? And he actually asked, did you do all the crux moves? Uh, yeah, so I got on Biblio in 2022 and uh, it was just such a cool experience. Like I think that that wall, that uh, – you know, place is just so legendary in my mind that um, I always wanted to, uh, you know, play on something hard on that on that wall. Um, you know, biography these days, like definitely sees a lot of people on it. So uh, it was kind of cool to have uh, a climb that didn't have as many people uh, trying it at the time. Um, so yeah, I was fortunate enough to be able to do all the moves. Uh, I was there for about like two, two and a half weeks or so. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd be so psyched to get back there. Um, it definitely has been in my head for like a long time. Um, I wasn't able to like, uh, come close to like doing the bottom boulder from the ground. Um, I kind of like worked out the top moves a little bit more. Um, but yeah, that's a great example of a climb that like, I feel like I would need to work out, uh, a lot of the options on it to feel remotely like confident to giving it like a red point burn. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like, um, you know, all about, all about the fun on that one. Cause like, I feel like there's just like so much good quality climbing and, um, it's just, yeah, it was just such a privilege to be able to try it. Um, you know, get, and getting to experience like what that ne next level would look like. Um, yeah, dude, what a, what a dream route, what a dream wall. It's so cool that you're like, uh, biography, that's just the popular thing. I'm going to go next door to bibliography, which by the way, really, really well-named, uh, I just thought that was a cool name to like put up there. Uh, okay. I, I wasn't going to ask this one more like super tactical question, but just, it just jumped into my head as you were talking about your experience on there. When do you know that you're ready for red point burns? I usually start giving red point burns before I know I'm ready <laughs> in some ways. Like, I think it's just fun to like, you know, get on having no expectations, not thinking that anything is going to happen and kind of giving it your all. Uh, so Biblio, like, sure, like I gave a red point burn because I tried it from the ground, but I didn't uh, fully expect to like be able to get through the crux, even though I had like done the moves. Um, but I think it's just like, you know, one more piece of nailing down a rock climb is like trying it from the start. Um, so I think it's all about sort of the pressure that you bring uh, to the climb on that moment, um, on that try. Uh, and um I don't think that anyone is like more ready or not to give a red point go, but I do think that uh, it's just another way to like learn, um, learn the moves, learn how they flow together. Uh, and you just happen to be trying it from the ground. That's like that. That's you know, so the unknown unknown. If you don't, if you don't try it, you, you won't really know. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. The, I, on that note, actually, because I, I think it's really awesome that you're answering that question in that way, too. These are such good questions and such good answers. So fun to listen to. But do you have 100% belief that you're going to do the, the whole route on your earliest red point burns before you even think it's appropriate? It, you know, because that's kind of the context is you're trying them before you even believe that you're going to top the thing. But do you believe that you're going to top the thing? And does that does that come first? Or do you have to start convincing yourself to just believe anyway? And then things kind of just fall into place? You know, what what's the chicken or the egg there, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think that I always default to like optimism um, because it doesn't exactly hurt to not believe in yourself uh, and it only can really help. So I would say that like for me, once I've like figured out the moves, I think it's fun to like give a red point go. I don't think that it's going to completely ruin my day in any way. Like maybe if like you've never like sport climbed outside and uh, you know that going from the bottom to the hard part of the climb that you're trying is going to mean that you're done climbing for the day. Sure. Maybe then I would like focus a little bit more on the moves and trying to make them more efficient. But I think that for me, like the fun part about sport climbing is getting to sport climb. And I feel like the most fun part about sport climbing is trying to red point. So to me, it just kind of is like, yeah, like I'm here at the crag when I'm able to uh, get through all the moves. Um, It doesn't feel like there's, a point to not trying from the bottom. And then when I fall, then I'm going to just continue working out moves. Um, so with something like Biblio, I think if I were to work it over time, uh, I wouldn't give every go as a red point go, because I think that I still have a lot to learn on it. Um, but I think with other things that might be closer to what I feel like uh, would be attainable for me in a shorter amount of time, uh, then sure, maybe I would uh, focus a little bit more on red point goes and, uh, then sort of every time you fall, it's like, okay, why, why did I fall? Like, was it really the pump? Was it the, the moves? Was it, um, that I didn't know how to shake or I, it's like way too cold outside and I need to go home. Um, yeah, I think those are all like valid, uh, reasons to change your approach and, uh, change whether to try. But I think, you know, if you're trying from the bottom, like believe that you can do it. Um, cause there's no, no harm in harm in that. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to finish out the, the context of bibliography as this amazing climb in Seyus right next door to biography, the world's first 15A that Sharma did. Bibliography is, I think, 15C, Magos did not that long ago, or is it sell at C, or is it D, or it was 15D, right? And now it's 15C. I don't know how it works. Jesse, Jesse you might know. Anyways, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, good luck on that. Uh, you know, psyched when you are done doing things like the Olympics, you know, maybe you'll have time to uh, go back to that. But, uh, on that note of, uh, other things outside of your climbing, uh, you know, you were talking about this, this ability to not focus so much on that day's performance in climbing and, you know, recognizing that's all part of this uh, grander scheme. I, I just, wonder if that's because you have this amazing career outside of climbing where, you know, you focus on soft robotics and making wearables that help people who are, well, you know, you say suffering from ailments, but I was going to ask you, are you actually just looking to create something that helps people climb even harder? Is that your basic goal in <laughs> your work outside of climbing? But, uh, you know, ha- half joke, but I, I guess I just would would love to hear about, you know, your the work that you do outside of climbing and uh, maybe some examples of, of some of the cool things that you've done that have helped other people who don't maybe get to, to climb at as high a level as you do. So climbing did bring me into the uh, world of uh, human performance robotics, I'll call it. 
Uh, that said, I don't know if I'm interested quite yet in designing technology that will help climbers perform better yet. Uh, so I originally got interested in the field by working in a nonprofit called Peak Potential at my like local gym in Jersey, uh, which basically helped kids with like physical disabilities learn how to climb. And I think that while, of course, like I still and uh, I did back then get, you know, tremendous reward from my own like achievements, I think it was uh, really impactful for me to get to like work with an individual, mainly a kid, like over the course of like a 12 week period and see them go from not having any experience on a climbing wall to being able to, you know, maybe get their first top, do a more challenging route uh, and progress in a way that they didn't expect or see as a possibility. Um, and I think that that was kind of the inspiration for uh, me to kind of like go to mechanical engineering school, um, kind of pursue that path. And uh, for two years after uh, after school, I worked in a robotics lab, um, which created assistive technology for post-drug patients. Um, so the main work and drive of the lab is um, to create technology that will uh, help people gain mobility after a stroke. Uh, I worked on a glove project that uh, basically a patient would wear. And instead of going to like occupational therapy, they would bring the device home. Um, and uh, basically they would be able to uh, open and close their hand with the device. Whereas like maybe they aren't able to open their hand uh, regularly and just getting like that kind of like repetition and cycle and uh, including in like sensors that um, uh, push for their like intention uh, to uh, create like kind of like those neural pathways um, and uh, strengthen them uh, would uh, develop a better way for them to uh, rehab like at home. Um, I worked on like ankle device that kind of uh, worked on like similar system, helping people like walk better over time. Um, and I think that this is like an area that I'm like really excited about for sure. Overall, uh, I think that kind of my mission in life in can be kind of like summarized with human performance, whether that be through my like climbing or through helping others kind of like achieve what they want to achieve. Maybe that's like acti activities of like daily living, or uh, maybe it's just like getting to climb for the first time, even though, uh, that isn't something that anyone else thought was like possible for them. Um, so I think that uh, climbing technology is definitely exciting to me and um, pushing the sport in that way is cool. Um, overall though, I think that uh, the idea of just being able to create technology that benefits someone on a day-to-day -day basis is uh, really meaningful for me. And so I still work in that lab uh, to the, to this day um, part-time. Yeah. So, so those gloves for, stroke victims won't help me on, on my projects. <laughs> this thread of, uh, of human performance is really interesting. And we made a comment when you were talking about your training, where this idea of like, when is it okay? Or how, how much should you fail along with success? And I always think that the best kind of training and understanding of, of human performance scales. So you know, the training that someone does to learn how to walk 
is going to be different from someone who's running 100 miles. But in some ways, there's principles that are consistent in them and that you should be able to apply them all across that spectrum. And that's how you really know you have something there is when you can use that same understanding to help someone you know, take their first step versus their, I don't know how many steps you take in 100 miles. But I guess the, the question there is, have you learned anything from both working with kids, working with people who are struggling with these ailments that you're helping create um, devices to help them along? Is there anything that you know, you've, you've taken into your uh, you know, climbing? Maybe it's not <laughs> you know, how to make your index finger uh, that much stronger. Maybe it's uh, some different underlying principle that, that just helps you when things get tough. I think the underlying principle to me is like kind of like optimism still, uh, which is funny when we're talking about like technology, but in a lot of ways, like believing that you can get better, that you can climb a wall. Like, I, I think that these are things that people kind of like maybe lack when they're first coming into the sport. Like, uh, you know, parents of uh, a girl, like in a wheelchair, like, Oh, like climbing isn't something that this person can do, but you know, bringing them into our program and then like getting them to try out climbing and showing them that it is, um, you know, that, uh, that hopefulness like kind of comes back about like what they're, they're capable of. And in the same way, like, I think that there are stroke patients on either end of the spectrum that, uh, some of them have been, um, uh, you know, working through this for many years and haven't gotten better. Uh, some of them have just sort of like recovered from, the initial side effects of the stroke. Um, but I think overall, like, I think that, uh, yes, technology is amazing, but it's about also believing that it will help you that ultimately like kind of makes it impactful. I think it's cool that you're talking about optimism as, you know, something that people forget to kind of take into sports or like into a, a new thing, but it's actually something that I see common in really experienced individuals as well, where we kind of forget that optimism might be the leading domino in everything that we do. That's something that's been very significant in this entire conversation that we've had. You almost root that kind of optimistic thought process, that perspective in every single answer that we're kind of asking you about. And that's that's pretty significant that that it, it shows up all the time. I'm learning that that is maybe maybe that is the lead domino mindset in, in entirety. And I'm definitely going to take that into my my coaching as well. Okay, well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab it back to to the optimism that you just spoke about. You've been pretty public about your battle with ulcerative colitis and kind of your extreme ups and downs. And you know, it's easy to talk about optimism, uh, but I'm kind of wondering how you handle staying optimistic when things are down. And it's one thing to tackle whatever issues you're having. And just tread water and just say, okay, I'm just going to show up the next day. But still having your sights set on the highest stage, things like the Olympics or just human performance, again, performing at your highest level. How do you keep that optimism? Or do you have any advice for those who are going through extreme ups and downs and you know, doing more than just treading water, but still shooting for the stars? Yeah. So maybe to just start answering that question, there was this idea of me as a kid, I think that I would often be presented that, oh, you're just, like, that happy kid that, like, does comps and usually, like, can do well if he has a good day and and I've seen you win before. And, yeah, you're just, like, you know, always always smiling, always happy. Like, I think that even, like, announcers, like, in competitions, I would get that quite often. And even to this day, like, sometimes. Because, like, yeah, like, I love smiling, like, when I can uh, in competition. But 
you know, on a re in the, in reality, like, am I like that every day? No, for sure. Not like, um, you know, I get, uh, upset, disappointed in competition and training. Um, and I think that that optimism is not something that I always maintain. And I don't want people to get the wrong idea that, uh, it is something that I'm always, you know, just like happy go lucky kid who, uh, yeah, is able to get what they want. But, uh, the reason why I sort of bring that up is because I think it's something that is required to be practiced and something to be like mindful of in a lot of ways, because I think that optimism ultimately is uh, a tool rather than, rather than something that is just an emotion that you need to constantly feel to kind of get to your other question. Maybe you could just rephrase it one more time. Well, I mean, first of all, that's just, wonderful that I, I, I think both me and Tim have talked about this where people think of us as really happy go lucky people, but that, you know, that's kind of a choice that you put forward. You, you know, like, do you want to be the kind of person that is always has a cloud over their head and that's how you're seen? Or do you want to be the kind of person that's looking for the sunshine going for it? You know, like someone who's uh, fun to be around. So I just like that way that you clarified it. But, uh, so this is what my, my next question is, is really the, the next layer on that is, you just said that it's 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 a choice. So the the question that I had is how do you make that choice and actually practice it when everything is telling you to basically like just try to survive here? You know, because you're dealing with something that is a, a chronic illness that has put you in the hospital before. But again, your optimism isn't even just like, and I just hope I will be okay tomorrow. You're still shooting for the stars. Like, and I just find that really inspiring that, and even if it is a choice to me, you know, how, how do you keep telling yourself that when you were like literally laying in a hospital bed, you know, like how, how do you go from that to qualifying for the Olympics? And, and what's that self-talk like? Yeah. I mean, it's really beautiful when you lay out the story like that, for sure. And I agree. Like, it is kind of crazy to like, look back. Um, so like two and a half years ago, like I was like hospitalized for my colitis and, uh, definitely was not a, not a fun weekend in the hospital. Um, but even, even then, like, uh, I, and this was like during COVID. So it was like pretty depressing time to be in the hospital and, uh, yada, yada, we can go on. But I think that, uh, you know, even, even back then, like I was like, like as soon as I was able to stand up and walk around, like, um, even though I wasn't able to like leave the hospital because like my condition was still bad, like I was like, playing with like doing pull-ups on like some of the, the hospital equipment or I, like, I just think it's like small steps that like, okay, like I'm not, not going to be in my top physical performance like right now, but what can I do like in the body and the place that I'm at? And I think that um, that's kind of more what I see climbing or like the, the, the great lessons of climbing, the great lessons of like life to be um, like working with the situation that you're presented rather than trying to like, change the situation around you to optimize around you. And I, I guess like, um, you know, colitis has like made it so that I haven't always been able to like, you know, perform as well in comps that I wanted to, or maybe it's like made me, uh, like, um, walk onto routes that I then need to like take and lower because I need to like go to the bathroom or something like that. Wow. Um, or maybe it's like, yeah, made me, um, yeah. Like just, just in general, like, uh, struggle in a way that is like an extra layer. Um, but I think I've always looked at it as like, uh, a way, an opportunity to sort of respond, um, and a way to like better myself. Um, 
not not all the time, but like I guess like the times when I'm outside the hospital and maybe sometimes even in the hospital. Man, all that all that context around this whole battle and your whole life and dreams and mindset and you know optimism it all makes sense right like uh, the 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 common thing we're seeing is well you got to have a macro view of looking at what your far dreams are ahead but really the approach to that because it can be so overwhelming and Josh did a good job of answering you know asking that question of like well what do you do when you actually come up to the challenge and you're like that's an overwhelming challenge well your answer and your instinct is always to look at the small steps that actually get you there and you focus on those small steps all the time and it starts with a smile sometimes it starts with laughter and actually that's usually where it starts and uh man it just resonates with me really deeply to hear hear you talk about it in that way is really cool and the, for me the reason why i bring it up is it's not to paint this you know comeback story or whatever it's it's to mm-hmm. actually get into the reality right like like and you know you what i didn't hear from you is it's like oh i was just born with this sunny disposition and i don't know it just all works out like i don't have to do anything it's like no this is this is you know i i'm in the hospital and i'm just asking myself like okay these are my constraints for the day like this is this is reality like what do i do now like what what's my step now and i i just like hearing that stuff because i i think you know it's fun to see those headlines and be like wow like i want to flash pure imagination too but then, you know, when you have the the two hours to talk to someone, it's like, okay, yeah, but what were the steps to get there? And, uh, you know, just getting that that honest take, I, I think is is really helpful. Good luck on the Olympics. Um, thanks for all the work you're doing outside of things. We, we definitely uh, figured out that your stamina that Ethan was asking about is because you are a cyborg. And <laughs> yeah, I, I hope that you can help others with that. And but before we let you go, we always ask for a pro tip. And, and Jesse, you already dropped a bunch of great stuff for us. Uh, but if you could, could we get one one more before we go? Yeah, I would say my my biggest pro tip would be to bring a snack bag wherever you go. Um, I think that snacks are what make the world go round. And uh, I think there's nothing worse than ending a session early or being a little bit of extra grumpy. Um, because you don't have a snack with you. What's your go-to? What's what's the favorite snack of Jesse? Homemade granola, I would say. Um, Cheerios are pretty sweet. Banana and peanut butter. Those are some good oh. good ones for sure. That sound, that's like the same as my kids. Okay, they're on their way to the Olympics. <laughs> Jesse, thank you, man. And uh, I'll just say again, congratulations. I, I think all of us here are just you know, have, have a thing for the Olympics. I know maybe the format isn't the most perfect and ideal, but it really means something special. And I can tell it means something special to you as you were doing sit-ups and push-ups when you were 10 years old watching Michael Phelps. And uh, we're just, we're really psyched for you and really cheering for you. And I can't tell you how many messages I got that were just like, Jesse's great. Jesse's unbelievably strong. And I'm really happy he's the one that's going to represent us at the 2024 Olympics. And just, just cheering for you, man. Great job. That really means so much. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much right. for your time, man. That was really fun. Yeah, this is a, this is a ton of fun. <laughs> awesome. Congrats again on pure imagination. Okay. You got to let us know if you flash anything else before this podcast goes live, but uh, congrats, dude. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about test piece climbing, You can check us out at testpiececlimbing.com and even book a session with one of our coaches.